why don't we have a word for the op- opposite of loneliness? Because that's what I feel at Yale and that's what I'm afraid of losing here. Mm. And I think that describes community really well of being not only feeling it, but being afraid that it's going to be taken away because it's so special. Welcome to the Community and Try Building podcast. If you're new to the podcast, I'm your host, Liam Hounsel, and today I'm super excited and enthusiastic to share with you this wonderful episode with Taylor Harrington. Taylor dropped some bombs of wisdom. Let me just say that. So just a little bit about Taylor. Taylor is the head of community at Groove, a growing startup and redefining what it means to co-work online. Outside of Groove, she loves volunteering as a facilitator and mentor for the Penn State Alumni Board and as a virtual painting instructor for Little City Chicago. Prior to joining the crew of the Groove team, she spent two years building online learning experiences, facilitating events and storytelling as the director of digital marketing at Akimbo. One of Taylor's main areas of expertise, which I found fascinating, is this idea of scaling intimacy, which she speaks about more during the episode, along with some of her ideas around some of the tech tools that she's found useful. And she doesn't hold back. Taylor lets loose during this episode. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And yeah, just sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome, Taylor. It is fantastic to have you here. We're just going to deep dive into some of the community building aspects, some of the stories behind community and tribe building. I guess maybe touch on some of the, the stories that actually led me to interviewing here. And I guess the, the Sonder moment, as you would call it. Thanks for having me on here. I'm so pumped to be here. Awesome. So I guess one of the first questions, and it really brought me home or home to me around community building, was during your Emerging Leaders program, one of the first questions, because I attended that and I thought it was awesome. And one of the first questions was like, what is your story? And you had to tell that to someone. So I just thought Mm. of of this podcast, just like introducing a bit about your story and what led you to where you are now. Yeah, for sure. And what I loved about that question too, that was, I believe the prompt of Monday afternoon, we just let everyone go and said, tell your story, tell someone else's story. Let's see how that goes. And part of the magic was not having a rubric of there's not one way to do it. Everyone can tell their story in their own way. So I I love this question. Yeah. So from a very young age, I've just loved talking to people. I have loved engaging in conversations. I feel as a young kid, there's that whole stranger danger. Don't talk to strangers. And I, I still just loved talking to parents, talking to my teachers, talking to so many different people. And my parents very much let me just do that. They didn't take that magic out of me as a little kid and realize there was something special about how I loved connecting with people. And yeah, I've just been having conversations since a young age. And as I got older, realized that was something that I just loved doing. And the more that I could put myself in situations where I had more and more conversations, the more I felt alive and like myself. And when I had to decide, okay, it's time to decide to go to college. And I knew I wanted to go. I thought, what is the biggest school I could possibly go to to anywhere near me? Because the biggest school, the most people met the most conversations, the, the more opportunities that I had to grow and learn and meet new people. And so I ended up going to Penn State University, where there are over 45,000 undergraduate students every single year. And on top of that, across all the different campuses, there's over 90,000 students, undergraduate students every year, which is crazy. So 90,000 people each year that say, I'm a Penn Stater. 
And when you amplify that again and again over the many years, it ends up that Penn State has a large alumni network in the world for any university. So I thought, okay, once I'm a part of this crew, once I'm a part of this community, I'm in. Like I could go anywhere and be like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm a Penn Stater. And so I did that, you know, for four years I was there and really decided to create a different learning journey there where it was outside of the classroom of how do I build my own opportunities for learning that didn't have to do with the syllabus and didn't have to do with a rubric or multiple choice testing. And that's where I learned the most was finding cool startups to work on, cool people to work with for just short sprints, two week project, month long projects, whatever I could do to be a part of those different uh, circles of people I did. And when I got to the end of the four years, like you said, I love that word Sonder, which is the realization that every random passerby has a life as vivid and complex as your own. And it's a word that doesn't actually exist. It's only in the dictionary of obscure sorrows, which is this amazing dictionary online where this man just defines all of these words that should be words, but aren't quite yet words in a dictionary. They don't appear in the Webster or Oxford dictionary or anything. So Anyways, I fell in love with it back when I was in high school, but then, like I said, fast forward to the end of senior year of college, I had to decide what's next for me. And I had a really pivotal conversation where someone asked me, what is it you want to do? And I gave that really wishy-washy answer of, I don't know. I'm on a very non-traditional path. I'm a projects person. I love connecting with people, but is that really a job? I don't know. (laughs) I want to do more and more of that. And as I explained what I was really interested in, One thing led to another, and that's how I was introduced to Seth Godin. And so for two years, I worked at Akimbo building online learning experiences, including the Emerging Leaders Program you mentioned, and also doing digital marketing, storytelling, connecting with different people, all different stuff. And then this past winter, I ended up making a career change and landed a new role at Groove, which is an online co-working community for people from around the world who are working remotely, they are freelancers, they're creatives, they're people on that non-traditional path doing things differently. Mm-hmm. And they're craving that connection of being around coworkers that they might not have because of the nature of what their job is, because they're projects people like I like to be, because they're in a location that's crazy and in the middle of the woods and they don't have people around them, whatever it is. And so they come together to feel that opposite of loneliness, of belonging, of feeling like there are other people rooting them on so that they can get the shit. I don't even know if I can say shit on your podcast, but (laughs) (laughs) they're allowed to (laughs) (laughs) the the, the shit done that they need to every day. Anyway, so that's how I ended up there. And now my job quite literally is connecting with people and bringing people together as out of community, which is crazy that two years out of college, I've really leaned into that even more so than um, I could have imagined. So yeah, it's, that's my journey in a few minutes. Wow. Thanks, Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> I love the, all the connections that took place along connecting people. And mm. one, of the, one of the fascinating things just when listening to your story was what sort of sparked that change in college to go that non-traditional path or follow that curiosity? Was it podcasts or just something that just was, ah, I just feel this is right for me. So I'm curious what sort of led there. Yeah, it's such a great question. So I think it's a couple of things. I think in high school, I was frustrated that so many people were picking a lane. Like this is my major and that's my lane. And I know exactly what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I thought to myself, I am so not that person. Ask me again in a year and we might have a different question, a different conversation because things change. People get curious about different things. And like I said, I'm a projects person. So I like to say I'm a professional hobby dabbler as well, where I pick up hobbies just for the pure excitement of learning 
how the heck to do something. And then um, I don't have to keep doing it to be a consistent person in that. I don't have to be someone who paints twice a week, every week to be a painter, but I would say Mm -hmm. I am a painter because I pick it up when I want to pick it up and I let it be when I want to let it be. And so I think that's just how I've approached life since a young age. And even high school, I went to a high school that was a public high school, but we had a lot of really cool course offerings where we could dabble. So I took a journalism course. I took watercolor. I took printmaking. I took courses on certain areas of the world. I took a course on the Middle East. I I did all different types of subjects, I guess. I learned about a lot of different things. And so when I went to college, I thought to myself, I don't want to like just follow the syllabus or follow the way of doing things that every student is going to do in a brochure of, Hey, you're an advertising student. So this is your lane. And I always hated at the beginning of school when everyone was like, oh, hi, I'm Taylor Harrington and I'm an advertising student. Mm. And that was the only way that they, you know, like that was like how they introduced themselves. And I I introduced myself that way too. I was, hi, I'm Taylor Harrington. I'm an advertising student, but I also have these two minors and all of these interests and I'm working on these projects Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I just felt like the major didn't describe me. So when you say, what was the pivotal moment? I think it happened before college. And when I got to college, I had pivotal moments that helped me feel seen in that experience that I wasn't alone in finding that non-traditional path, that there were other people trying to do that too, in a way that I didn't feel in high school, because in high school, I do think that it was very lane picking. And Mm -hmm. I, I found communities at Penn State that allowed me to say, oh, hey, I fit in here. These people get it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think, yeah, during, during that program, it's, yeah, it's fascinating to see just the, even on your website, one of the things that stuck out to me was seeing the 360 view and accepting all those different labels. Because part, I don't know if that's, if you feel that hobbyist mentality, because sometimes people can view it as, are you quitting something? And it can be, mm-hmm. and have a sort of like negative connotation. I felt when I've dabbled with something and sort of just wanted to leave it. But I don't know if you found that really useful with community building, because you have to connect so many diverse people together. Yeah, I think it's part of, like I said, it's about connecting with people when you when you can go up to someone and Penn State was a good example, because I could see someone on the streets of New York City, where I now live. And they've got a Penn State shirt on and automatically that's my connection. Okay, hi, mm-hmm. I can say we are to the people wearing the Penn State shirt mm-hmm. and they'll shout back Penn State. And so that's an automatic connection. But when you think about it, life's not like that. You don't always have these automatic connections where you can say that to someone. You have to have a conversation in order for you to learn what those connections are. So if someone then says, I love to bake, or even the other day, like someone had said, I love writing handwritten notes to people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I could go off on card making (laughs) and like how much delight that can bring people. Like that was something that like, even though I wouldn't say, oh, I'm consistently writing people handwritten notes and cards. Mm. I've dabbled in that and know how much joy that can bring people and how much joy I receive when I get that back. Mm. And yes, I have played with how you can design on top of envelopes and like how you can paint handwritten cards and all different stuff. So it's that's something that's in my pocket that allows me to connect with those people. Or like I said, like baking is a great example of someone the other day was talking about, oh my gosh, it's fall. What am I going to start baking? And I was like, oh, you have to try these two recipes. And those might be the only two fall recipes that I know how to make really well and would say I'm great at, but I have them in my pockets that I can take them out and say, hey, now we've connected about this thing. And I can also be very upfront. Hey, I'm not much of a baker, but these are my two all-star recipes I would pass off to you if I were going to say and pass off any. Again, it is, I think, like you said, a connection builder to say, 
you've done something, you get it. You may not get it to the full extent that they mm -hmm. are um, getting it, but I do think there's something else magical about this concept. And I've written about this before my blog of like secondhand passion. When someone else says, I'm really passionate about something. And you may say, I don't understand your passion like you do because you're like really deep into it. But watching you describe it and hearing what it brings up for you emotionally helps me feel passionate about it in this motion, in this moment. What's something that you're passionate about? So I guess what I'm really passionate about mindfulness, meditation, like those sort of areas. And I'm doing the yes. Vipassana um, silent retreat and I've been like geeking out about it or trying to like research it find out if it's worth it or not so those are like that's one thing that I feel like really passionate about now that's awesome see and so now my brain is already lighting up I have multiple people that I know in my life who did silent retreats retreats and I think that you should connect with them if you're curious about asking them questions and things I know people who did it for literally three weeks to a month and other people who did it for a long weekend. So again, like super interesting to be able to say, Hey, I went to a, like, I went to different events in my life that led me to these people that then helped me get to a point where I was then talking to them about their silent retreat. Like what had to come up in our conversation in order for that to happen. But then I also know, like I could say, Hey, here are a couple different apps that I've heard of. Maybe I haven't used them before, but they might be useful to you. Or that I've, I've gone, I could tell you about how I did a meditation class as one of my <laughs> general education courses back in Penn State. We had to do like a gen ed gym course. And I could tell you about mindfulness and yoga that I learned in that course. So it's just interesting. Again, when you're a dabbler, you can relate to that person, not because I'm as deeply passionate as you are about that thing, but I'm like, oh, I hear you on this mm -hmm. and I get it from a little outside perspective. And now we can jam on it because I know how passionate you are about it. Mm. So the like long answer is I think it totally helps. And that's why I love these 360 view opportunities to say, I'm not just one thing and how like, I'm not even 25 things. I'm a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes me. And do you feel that's so freeing? Because I, I know for myself, when I was like pursuing tennis and that was like my one thing, mm -hmm. like when that thing was taken away during an injury, I found it hard. Now I'm like much more because I identified with that one label. But when you've got what, lots of labels, it's okay, I did this podcast. Maybe this podcast didn't go that well. But ah, oh, I'm also, I also really enjoy meditation. Oh, I also really enjoy like mm -hmm. concentrating or showing up to groove or it's, it just mm -hmm. adds like a sense of freedom. I feel, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think as a young kid, oftentimes you don't get the opportunity to decide those things on your own. It's, oh, mom and dad signed me up for tennis or wh whoever your garden is signed you up for tennis. Like now there you are as a part of it. <laughs> and that's the one thing that you do on Tuesdays and Thursdays every week or whatever it is. So it's interesting that as we get older and get to make those choices about how intentional we want to be in spending our time, we can say, hey, I don't want to do things on a consistent basis, mm. or these are the three or four things I want to do on a consistent basis instead of just doing the one thing. So we really get to design what that life looks like. And I think as I continue to get older and I just made a big move to leave my family's home and move to the city mm. finally after COVID <laughs> and, and in doing so, I really get to make a lot of those choices of what do my days and weeks look like and how do I add it up so that I feel like my glass is full at the end of the day and at the end of the week that I did the things that I really wanted to accomplish and have in my life. Yeah. Wow. So with that, just tying into your day, when I was researching, I saw that sort of a lot of days are very diverse. So it's hard to define an average mm -hmm. day in the life of Taylor Harrington, if I'm correct. 
It's true. It's a bit on a consistent basis with the community building, with Groove, with working with Seth, what have, what have been things that have stayed consistent throughout or been like the backbone? Is any like rituals, habits, like areas within connecting with people that you found really useful? Yeah, a couple of things come to mind. One is I love learning, as you probably know. So one of my favorite tools is called Refined. And it's an email newsletter where you get to select how often you want to be reached out to. So I do five articles a day. And what I do is I select different categories of things I'm curious about. So I can do one that's personal and one that's professional. So for example, my professional one, five areas might be remote work, productivity, community, and then like office culture and one other one. And so those five things each day, I get sent five articles that have to do with any five of those topics. And someone out there is putting those all together. Some robot of some sort is putting them all together, but it's pretty crazy because once they get to know you, you can give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Once they get to know you pretty much four out of the five or five out of the five articles are ones I would be curious about reading every day. And I would not have found otherwise because I just don't simply have the time or it's not that I don't have the time. I wouldn't put in the time to look for those articles intentionally each day. It's so convenient for them to be dropped into my inbox at 8 a.m. and I get to check them out. And so that's one thing that I would say I love learning each day. And that's one great way to do it from different sources. And again, going back to like when you set it up, you could set up another one for my personal email, which I was thinking about doing the other day as I was explaining this tool to someone else. If I want to get emails about cooking, baking, being a plant mom, like <laughs> whatever I, whatever I want to have it get me different articles on, I could. So that's a really cool one in terms of connection with other people. I think it's really important to me that I do have some sort of virtual connection with people mm -hmm. throughout the day. I actually have fallen in love with just the short bursts of connection that Groove has to offer as part of the entire thing that we do there. So we work in 50 minute sessions, but during that time before and after the 50 minutes, you hop on, you get to say hello to some other person, hear what they're up to. You can even ask them, where are they in the world? What are they working on? How does this project fit into their longer term projects? That type of stuff. And so you spend, let's say on average, three to four minutes connecting at the beginning and then three to four minutes at the end, regrouping and sharing what the heck you just did over those 50 minutes. And so it's accountability, but it's also the social connection of like, Hey, there's another human out there. That's counting on me to get this thing done, even though we're not related and we don't have the same work that we're doing in front of us. There's someone else out there. And so I think that's really fit into my life really well. I groove many times each day mm -hmm. and I miss that. When I was at Akimbo, that was something that I had said. I, I really wish I had that, especially during COVID when we were remote, because those 30 minute check-ins with people from all over the world that I would do of, Hey, let's grab a cup of virtual coffee. It got, it got to a point where it was like, you didn't really get to know someone sometimes. Like you didn't get to get in deep to like the things that you really oh. like. These are my everyday things. And within Groove, you get permission to just say, Hey, this is like how I'm feeling today. This is what we've got going on. And that's pretty cool. So that's one other thing is just checking in with people has been a big part of my day moving forward in the last few months. And yeah, I would say, yeah, learning, checking with people. And then the other thing would just be creating like an intentional start to the day of a to-do of this is what I want to accomplish. And then making sure I accomplish those things. If I don't accomplish all of them, like having a couple that are like wiggle room at the end of the day that I could mm. flip over to Tuesday and get those done first thing. 
So again, crafting that day so that it is productive. And I can say at the end of the day, like my glass was full. I got what I needed to do done. Awesome. I love the, the intentionality and I'm going to, that refine app as well. Yeah, I refined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, when I jumped on with, I think it was the co-founder, Josh. And he was like, you connected me straight to someone who was interested in mindfulness and meditations. <laughs> oh, obviously, yes. <laughs> Josh is like so deep into it. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was epic. And like just the breakup, because I think I'd like quite a, sussed out quite a serious sort of task. And what the community mm -hmm. was great is like, we had a light-hearted conversation around like his puppy beforehand. The contrast. Jasper is a cutie. Yeah. Sort of really helped. So I'm curious within community building, because it almost seems like, what was it on the edge of productivity and connection is like the intersection. And I found mm -hmm. like the ground truth really interesting when you're explaining it. But the one thing is I'm curious about is where do you see the future of community and tribe building? I guess we've got like this online space now, but then we've also got one things, once things integrate back into the in-person world. So I'm mm -hmm. curious thoughts on that. So one of my favorite phrases right now is scaling intimacy. Mm. And I think it's really interesting to be diving into. I'm writing a article on it right now for my Medium page. And the reason why I think it's interesting is because that's the problem that a lot of community builders are solving is mm. we've got a really tight knit community right now, but how do we scale this? And so with Groove, the product really is the community. It's bringing these people together. It's the people showing up that are making this happen. And how do you scale the incredible connections that are happening right now in our beta testing community? Because there are people who, like even today, I sent out the community newsletter where I give shout outs to some of the different projects that are getting done inside the groove and people who have hit their 150th groove. And with that, one of the women who's a a very active groover, might call her a super groover. She responded to the email and said, I feel like this is just getting my family newsletter. It's like this moment of cheering everyone on in my family that they got all of this stuff done. And in that moment, I was like, that's, that's what this is right now is everyone feels if you've grooved, I would say at least four times a few people in here because you can meet up if you grew four times you can meet up to 10 different people in those groups mm. so it's really interesting how quickly those connections are formed and so i think scaling intimacy is the biggest question that i have right now and i think many other community builders because there aren't a lot of great examples of people doing it well with intention and with um, a product that is really crafted to fit the needs of the people mm. and so the fact that two co-founders, Josh and Surly created this thing. And their first hire was me head of community mm. instead of another engineer or a people ops person or whatever mm. it is. It's really interesting. And I think that will be something that sets us apart as we look at other startups that are building things because community is at the heart of this. And when you try to scale a community, it's, it's hard because the people who are in the beta testing community right now, for example, and I'm just using Groove as the example, so that's what, what I'm working on. But I think a, you could say this with Constant Student. You could say this with mm -hmm. one of the communities I'm a part of right now is called Startup Island. You could say it with Kimbo. Mm -hmm. It's like when you have a really small group and then you try to expand it from there, it's like, how do you continue to maintain those feelings that you felt mm -hmm. at the very beginning? And so that's the problem I'm tackling right now. And I'm very much leaning into this mentality of, I don't 
always know what I'm doing at all. (laughs) And I want to share that is, Hey, we're building this thing in public. We're learning as we go. This is what I know. These are my assertions. And this is where we're going. I'll update you along the way. And so that's what this medium article is really going to be about is this is what scaling intimacy means to me. And it sounds a little counterintuitive because how do you scale intimacy? Do you really do that? And then unpacking it and saying, this is where we want to go, but also like, how is this now applicable to all of these thousands of other people who are doing that right now as well? And how can we be someone who's paving the path and saying, Hey, we've set a gold standard for what that looks like at an early, as an early stage startup to, to mm-hmm. get it to a place where next year, when we have a thousand groovers instead of 200 groovers, you can still tell me, Hey, it still feels as an intimate as it did back in the beta testing community, or maybe that's not the right way to phrase it. But at that time you'll say, I still feel these five feelings that I associate with an intimate community. I still feel a sense of belonging. I still feel like I know everyone when I show up or whatever those different things are. And so part of it again is like, how do we make the product, the app itself, aid us in creating those types of feelings. And that's, what's really cool about working on such a small team is like people saying, Hey, how can we create smaller groups? And then those help us scale the intimacy because they are very intentional and people get to opt into them in a certain way. So that was a long answer, but scaling intimacy. Thank you. I love, I love that. I think truth is found in paradox, right? So when you're trying Mm -hmm. to scale intimacy, it's like, whenever you try and have like often when you care the most is when you feel the most nervous. It's, it's an mm-hmm. interesting balance. So I feel scaling intimacy. I love that phrase. Yeah, yeah. Let's stir the pot. Like, that's what I want. I want to write something about scaling intimacy and people being like, absolutely not. Like, I want to hear, I want people to react to the paradox and be like, no one does that. Tell mm-hmm. me a good example of that. And so that's what I want to create. Bring about. So within the, I guess, the field of community building that you studied, Taylor, like who are some of the sort of the top community builders or people you've gone, wow, they've done an amazing job with what they've done or, Mm. and like why you think they've done that potentially. So anyone within the field that you like or industry, like, wow, that's cool. Yeah. I would say two of my favorite books recently would be David Spink's book, The Business of Belonging and Carrie Melissa Jones. She wrote a book called Building Brand Communities with a guy named Charles, I think Vogue is his last name. And I have both on my shelf over there, <laughs> but both of them are fantastic books. And they, what I love about them is they dive into a lot of different examples of communities that we now know today as these bigger communities. So you look at Reddit, for example, mm. that's a, a much, much larger community, but Reddit is an ex- interesting example when we talk about scaling intimacy, that there are these subreddits these, and these smaller groups where people can feel that sense of intimacy when, even though at a greater scale, you can also zoom out and say, wow, this is really big now. And so I think both books and both leaders give really great examples of that. Carrie is also someone who like, I just really adore her Instagram lives, Mm -hmm. different things that she puts out in her newsletter. I've gone to a couple of talks of hers virtually. I think she just really does a great job of explaining bigger concepts and making them really tangible for someone who is new to this space and trying to figure it out as they go, because she's very real. Hey, we're never going to all have it figured out, but let's dive into it with the biggest assertions that we have. And that's something I really admire about her. David, it's really interesting because he has the CMX community, which is, was bought by Bevy and, or like 
in partnership with Bevy. I don't really want, I don't want to use the wrong word, but anyways, it's interesting because CMX has its own Slack group that I've been a part of and something really cool about what David's built as this bigger brand of what is CMX is that he's brought together all of these community builders. And what's crazy, I'll actually pull up the Slack right now to show just, I'm just curious. Let's see here. How many people are in this? Because here we go. General channel. There are 4,000 people in this Slack channel, okay? Which sounds like a big number. Yeah. But when you think, of, when you think about it though, let's say there are 4,000 community managers, heads of communities, VP of communities. That's not a lot. That's a really small group for it to be less than 4,000. And some of these people in here may not even have that title or something, but they may just subscribe to, hey, I'm a community builder and that's cool too. Not that they need the title, but it's just interesting when you have 4,000 people in the Slack group, that's not a lot of people across like all different organizations for there only to be 4,000 people with that um, mindset. And so it's interesting because what I think he's doing at CMX is a really great example of bringing those people together to say, hey, we're some of the earliest people doing this community thing. How can we learn from each other? And I really do love that. It's a free Slack community. You can sign up on CMX's website, I believe, and or I'm happy to bring whoever into it. But it's a really cool group to be able to say, hey, something I'm going through right now now is X, Y, and Z. Does anyone have ideas? And I've done that a number of different times and I've gotten awesome responses since. And of course, also love to contribute when others have questions. So that's been a special thing. So those are two people that I would say are doing it really well. I think one other, when you ask the question of who's a great community builder, it's interesting because you also think like at the same time, sometimes it's not always the people who have the title or people mm-hmm. who have like named that they're in that space. Maybe they're not an author who's written a community book. Mm -hmm. And I think back to when I was at Penn State, one of my favorite jobs that I had while I was there was as a senior, I worked at a local craft studio and the woman who owned that craft studio, her name is Amy Frank and the studio is called The Makery. And so within The Makery, this tiny little craft studio tucked in the middle of Pennsylvania into this like brick building, it was just life. The moment you opened that door, it was like, there was so much going on in that space. Even if there wasn't a lot of, even if there weren't a lot of people in there, it was like, there was always a craft spinning um, on the ceiling or there like something that was moving. Like, Mm. I just felt like there was a lot of like energy in that space. Mm. And Amy did such an incredible job of, I think two great things. One, making it feel welcoming, no matter who was walking in there, if it was your first time in there, or if it was your 20th time in there, You felt like you were the only person in the world when you walked in there because she made you feel that way. She talked to you. She listened. It was like a really warm, inviting thing. And I think that's such an important skill to have as a community builder is like to be that good listener and hold that space for someone when they're trying to figure things out for the first time or that first moment that they're returning to a space. Mm -hmm. And then the other piece of it was she had a very abundance mindset of we can all learn from each other. And so within this tiny state college, Pennsylvania community, she was so connected to the entrepreneurs that were also in that community as a business owner herself, that she was constantly learning from them. She was bringing them into the space so that they could host their meetings in there when they needed to bring their startup teams in there. She was helping assist bring, you know, parades to life that they were doing for their nonprofits or whatever. But she always had this abundance mindset of like, sure, the makery community was her community of you know, creators and people who want to come and craft. But beyond that, there were all these other people and she learned a lot from them and also gave, you know, it back in different ways. And so I think there was something really special that she was onto there of how can we 
see and admire what's happening in our own community and say, oh, this is going really well. And also what are the things that I can ask for help on? Mm. And then finding not even parallel communities. Like it wasn't like she was talking to people at other craft studios necessarily there. I don't even, there wasn't another craft studio. There was a pottery studio, but, (laughs) but that she was finding inspiration from other communities that had nothing to do with crafting. And I think that was really cool about what Mm -hmm. she did there. Wow. (laughs) This is, yeah, I'm just taking it in. That's cool. I love the, I love the example of you don't have to identify with a label to like fulfill that. And that sort of ties in with the 360 viewpoint is like some of the, yeah, even in my life, I guess it's some of those people who have say my tennis coach, for an example, for a long time, Mm. his whole thing was just like creating this group of people who just loved playing together. And yeah. that, that I would say, he's a tennis coach by label or head coach, but he, he was more like a community builder with bringing in all these different people from different cultures, whether it was Japan playing tennis or whether it was, or whether it was Zimbabwe like myself. And then just, mm-hmm. he had a very, and I think you, and I found this in the emerging leaders, it's like very easy way of breaking the ice and being mm. the first one to be vulnerable. And then everyone just feels mm-hmm. like, yeah, I can actually be myself. <laughs> build, you yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to what I just said of like when you say, hey, we're all figuring it out. Like today was shit. And this is why. Like <laughs> sometimes like breaking the ice and saying, hey, like I'm really trying to figure this out. And like I'm being honest in how I'm showing up is the best way to um break that ice. And as long as long as it's genuine. So I think that's really interesting. And like you said, it does tie back to the 360 view because, and this is something I think I learned from Seth, it, it really unique is when I started at Akimbo, I wasn't given a job title. I got to pick what my title was. And I remember Seth saying, what do you want your title to be? It could be queen of whatever, if you want it to be, like, just pick something. Like it didn't have to be something that made sense. I could be queen ruckus maker if I wanted to, like it, (laughs) it didn't have to be like something really traditional or something that made sense for even my age or my level of education or different things. And so I just said, I want to be director of digital marketing. And he was like, all right. And that's your title. And I was like, all right, I'm a director now. Like I just leaned into that. He just gave me the permission to decide and I decided. And so that was it. And so it's really interesting when you give people the opportunity to decide, they probably will pick something that you weren't going to give them. Like, I don't know that was what they were. I'm not sure that Seth would have said, Hey, I'm a silver platter. This is exactly the title I imagine you will pick. Mm. And looking back, I don't even know, like that title doesn't even represent 50% of what I did, but it's very funny that like in the moment that seemed very like status and cool Mm. and very aligned with what I had studied and all of that. And so to zoom back out, when we get the opportunity to, or let me say this differently, every single day we get the opportunity to decide what are those titles that we want to associate it with ourselves. Hmm. So if I want to be head of community, if I want to be a community builder, one of my favorites is a community architect. I think that is such a cool title. And if you looked at my LinkedIn, like it's on there and no one gave me that title. I just think that's what I am. So Mm -hmm. if someone had to describe me, I would say, yeah, I'm a community architect. Like, sure because I'm someone who designs what those relationships look like. And I create space for people to also co-design what those relationships look like. And so I think what's interesting about like head of community is it almost sounds like I'm the one figuring it all out. And then the people just show up, but the reality is I like co-designing and that's what I like about the title 
community architect as well. So I like to put both of those, as you'll see in my LinkedIn bio, because I think they describe different parts of how I work and what I want to bring to the world. So yeah, if there's any takeaway from that long tangent, it's that you can step up and create that title. Don't wait for someone else to create it for you. Mm. Mm. And then with the community architect, when you're designing the space, because I feel like so much of it's like the space when you arrive and like mm -hmm. airplane sort of metaphors, like the start of the conversation and then the end of the conversation, like landing the plane. So like, yeah. how do you think about someone show, how do you think someone shows up intentionally? Or you, do you set like an intention? Because I guess I'm into mindfulness meditation. So generally before I generally go, okay, mm -hmm. what's the intention now? What, what am I trying to bring forth in this space? Or like, how am I trying to connect to this person? Have you got any like ways or tricks or questions or just mm. yeah ways of showing up? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is thinking through what are the scariest moments for that person when they might be showing up in this space. Mm. And what's scariest for you to show up, let's use Groove as the example, when you show up on the app for the very first time, what you think is scary might not be what Andrew thinks is scary, mm -hmm. but I want to spend time figuring out what are the five to 10 things that I think could be scariest for that person when they show up and how can I debunk those within the first four to five minutes that we have together in that groove. So if, or, and sometimes the opportunity isn't that short and sometimes it's even shorter. So what's nice about groove is I get the four to five minutes at the beginning. And then I also get those few minutes at the end of the groove when we regroup too. So I can hear how you're reacting to certain things. And then while we're in the chat during the groove, I can also see what it is that you're cheering others on, or maybe you don't really know the format or whatever those different things are. Towards the end, I get a chance to also reiterate what some of those different things are or add to that list. So you don't want to overboard someone with, hey, here are the top 10 things that you could be thinking are scary. And this is why they aren't like, that's not how I would phrase it, but mm -hmm. more that like one thing that's really interesting and it, some of it's doing it, um, in the design of how it's set up. So for example, if you and I were going to groove for the first time, the way that I do it is it's in a public groove. So anyone could join us. So that means that it's you and I and two other people possibly could be joining us. And in doing so, one of the biggest things you might be scared of is who the heck shows up on this app? Who are these other people that I might meet? Because that's scary. Like meeting people for the first time and they're entering your space because you're on video in your possible home or, you know, or office or your car or wherever it is that you're grooving from. And so for the chance for me to say, Hey, by design, there are two other people that could pop in here. And most of the times, at least one or two other people do, then you get that chance to meet those other people. So without me even addressing it, you get to understand, Oh, works on TV production and they're over in Canada. That's pretty cool. And this person, Oh, interesting. They're painting their walls today. Cause they just moved into a new house in Ohio. Interesting. They've got a little toddler that's running around. Like you get an idea for who's in the room without me even having to tell you. So I think that piece of it is really interesting to figure out like, what are those five or 10 things that could be a concern for them? And how can you bake it in? How can you address them through designing the experience that way? Mm -hmm. uh, and also how can you do it with your own words? So Again, let's say those two people didn't show up at the end of the groove. If it's just me and you, I might say, Hey, so the way this works is next time you hop, you hop into the app, you can go ahead and start your own groove. Or if you see someone else has started a groove, everyone in here is a rad community person. They love meeting other people. We've got freelancers. We've got solopreneurs. I can rattle through who else we have in here and you get a better idea of it. So 
I would say if you're a community leader and you want to create that space of what's that feel like for them in the first few minutes, think about what may be those scary moments that you can help debunk because the way you probably will react to those is kind and welcoming and clear and possibly vulnerable and honest. That's something I would definitely consider. The other thing that's interesting about Groove, for example, is I, (laughs) there's an audio note somewhere deep in like my WhatsApp group that says something along the lines of, because Josh, the co-founder and I, like we share audio notes back and forth. We just love jamming like that. I, I swear we need a podcast. Like I'm like, we need something where we're jamming on this in public, but there's an audio note somewhere where I described like when you walk into an awesome in-person co-working space, mm-hmm. what does that feel like? What does it look like? What does it smell? What can I hear? What are the different things? What am I looking around at? What am I curious about? And so I literally was in my backyard in Connecticut, my family's backyard, recording this audio note, acting as I closed my eyes and was acting as if I went into a co-working space. And then I did the example, I did it all over again, but instead I went on YouTube and I watched YouTube videos of cool co-working spaces. I probably watched a dozen of them. And then added to the, I added other audio notes, adding even more things that I was sensing. And then I said, okay, how do we create that feeling that I just explained through the app experience? Because Mm -hmm. the more we can create the positives that I felt going into a real co-working space virtually, the more and more people are going to feel like this is a place that they're going to, even though they're still stuck in their home, Mm -hmm. or this is a place that they're going to, even though their baby is napping in the corner and it doesn't really feel like an escape, but it is. And how do we make it feel like one? And so that's, I think a a big part of it is like, what do you want it to feel like? Do you want it to feel like the moment you walk into Disney world? Do you want it to feel like the moment that you walk into your grandma's house and she's got warm cookies baking? Mm -hmm. Do you, you know, how how do you want it to feel? Do you want it to feel like you're jumping out of an airplane when you meet these people? What do you want it to feel like in your community? And then how can you set yourself up to figure out what are those characteristics? Not that on Groove, we're not going to have coffee brewing in the background, but what is our version of the equivalent of that? So that's where I took a lot of inspiration. Wow. Yeah. I've said wow a few times now, but stop reiterating, but it's cool. <laughs> I say all the time. And I have a friend now who I, I don't know what, I don't know who it is. Is it like, one of the, I don't know. It's, it's a movie quote where it's wow. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't, I can't think of who it is right now, but he, every time I say it now, he just says that back to me. And I'm like, now I'm realizing how often I use the word. Wow. <laughs> because now I have to hear him say it all the time. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I guess with, within this, so you've got the, the intro and then sort of creating that intentional space, like seeing the seeing the room that you want to create before it's there and you're almost like living into that and then creating it that's almost what I got from it it's like mm-hmm. almost seeing how it wants you how you want to show up how you want to feel before it's actually there and yeah I'm curious within that like how do you think about the outro when someone exits the space now so we've gone through the intro then the outro how you leave someone how you invite them welcomely to come back how you get them mm-hmm. potentially to share So yeah, I'm curious your thoughts on the exit. Yeah, I think it's super interesting because it's a lot about what are the next steps you want that person to take? Like from a business perspective, for example, let's take, let's take a, let's say you're running a um, company that has a bunch of different workshops Mm -hmm. and someone finishes up a one week workshop and you want them to be a part of the one that happens again in two months. Um, because they brought awesome energy. And at the end of the day, like you need people in that workshop and they were very generous in their comments with other students. They were a total all-star. So in that example, like 
if they were a rock star in that cohort, how do you make them feel like that rock star when they get invited to be a part of the second cohort? What ways can this person now? They've been pretty vulnerable in your workshop. They've Mm -hmm. shared a number of different times off mic because they enjoyed sharing that way or Maybe they create, they were more of a listener and the way that, you know, the way they listened to all these different people, they were someone who really helped provide specific feedback to the others in that cohort. Mm. And, and so anyway, so, you know, a lot about, let's say in this example, a lot about that person. So I would say like, how can you treat them with all of that knowledge that you have about them as you create that ask, if there is an ask like that. So when you think about the exit, what are the things you want to line up? Like, how do you make that person, if I want Liam to join cohort number two, how on the last day of cohort number one, do I make him feel like he's got to be a part of number two? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's, maybe it's a certain recognition. Maybe it's giving you a chance to share your podcast in the newsletter that my company puts out there, or cause that's like a free thing that I can do. And it could mean a lot to you because I have an awesome audience that would really want to hear that. So there's a bunch of different things you can do. So I think it's interesting because it's not just like an exit conversation. It's about being really intentional about what are those other steps that you can take to help that person mm-hmm. feel enrolled in that journey of what you are looking to either ask them to do next or invite them to do next or whatever. And sometimes there's not always a clear answer at that moment. Maybe it's something like, Hey, you just know that this is someone you want to continue connecting with and you don't want to lose that loop. So maybe it's a note that you send a few days later, just saying, Hey, I just want to say X, Y, and Z. And I just want to keep this relationship going because I really care about what you contributed. And then you've opened it. So it's not just like a see ya, that's it, end of conversation, but you've opened this chain of communication that'll now happen via email. And maybe only reach out once a quarter or around the holidays or whatever it is. But I think it's more of zooming out and saying, okay, mm-hmm. what is the relationship at a larger scale? And how can you be a part of setting that up intentionally in the exit, knowing that's not the end? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's the continuation of the conversation, but it's mm-hmm. just it's a little pit stop along the way. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the things, I think a great skill that some people have practiced deeply, and I'm one who I don't think it's come naturally to me, but I've practiced more and more is taking notes in a call about the little things. Mm -hmm. If someone's, if you're talking to someone and their daughter goes to Clemson and you know that they're studying advertising like you did, and you're trying to, I'm talking about myself, but if you're like trying to remember, okay, like his daughter goes to Clemson, she's studying advertising. She's a junior now. And we're talking in fall of 2021, you know, Imagine how it would feel for me to continue reaching out to that person, but then in May of 2023 to say congratulations to your daughter on her graduation. Mm. Even like how crazy would that be a year and a half later for me to send that note to that person. And so it's remembering writing. It's not even remembering it's writing down the little things that you can be intentional with that relationship moving forward. And so I've learned to be better about that because it matters and being on the receiving end of it it feels so good when someone remembers those little things. Mm -hmm. So the more that you can write those things down and create, like whether it's a database in Notion, I love Notion as a tool and you just share, okay, talk to Liam. These are the things going on in his life right now. What do I want to check up on? That's, I I have a Notion database where I Mm -hmm. share, what's the thing I want to check up on someone with in the future on our next conversation or on a later conversation and sharing when I think that should be. And keeping track of those things is really important because the little things matter for relationships. 
And then you feel really heard, right? It's just exactly helps so much with that. You sort of just ease back into that same time that you had before. It's oh, yes. it's we've changed, but there's still that there's still that commonality because I feel like when you mm-hmm. leave someone or you don't talk to someone for a while, it's like how much have they changed and how much have I changed? Do we still have the commonality? But when you like remember the commonality right at the start, then it's like easier oh, yes. to go into the change. That's cool. And then within community how do you think about subtypes so say in reddit how there's like the smaller groups and i think it i started reading a little bit of david spink's book around how he had the different levels of groups so you had like your group of four your group of 10 like your discussion group we mm-hmm. said it was quite intimate like how do you think about building up those subgroups like intentionally yeah i think one of the biggest things that a community builder can do is letting other people co-create with you. So mm-hmm. leaning on your community to say, Hey, now it's your turn. Mm-hmm. What do you want to create? What groups do you want to be a part of this? How will you lead in creating those groups? Because right now, a lot of the leading in groove, for example, we're, like I said, a beta testing community, and it's pretty small at this point, it's mm-hmm. less than 200 people. And of those, we have a much smaller, like really active community. And so in, in doing that, I say much smaller, but honestly, the numbers are awesome. Like it's mm-hmm. probably 50 to 60 people who are like really into it. And, and in doing that, I think it's interesting because it's like, I already am identifying at this stage, who are those super groovers that I know will want to take the next step and help create those subgroups as we grow, because they just love this product. Mm-hmm. Like their life is like totally changed because of it. And so when you can find those people who are just so into it because they understand it, they get it, they feel a certain sense of belonging inside of it. Those are the people to turn around and say, hey, I can't do this all on myself, all on Mm -hmm. my own. Are you able to help in these ways? And of course, also knowing like, at what point do you step in and offer them something in return and say, hey, like super cool that we're like a beta testing community and we're totally free right now and would appreciate an extra hand if you have it. But also at some point you gotta be like, okay, if you're going to be doing this on a regular basis, let's outline like a really cool, like super groover title for you that maybe it's not something you're putting on your LinkedIn, but it's something that says, Hey, you are a super grouper. And what does that mean to you? What does that mean to other community members when they look up to you? What are the responsibilities as a super groover, those different things. And so I think it's about growing those user groups, user led groups, same thing with Akimbo, huge community over 25,000 alumni of all of these different workshops, which is wild. Mm -hmm. And in that you've got all of these, I think it's 11 or 12 workshops at this point. And so you have all the people of, let's say the bootstrappers workshop versus the emerging leaders program versus the marketing seminar, all of these different ones. And so automatically you have subgroups because people took a certain workshop. And so they bond with people from that certain workshop. But then beyond that, all of, let's say the 8,000 people that took the marketing seminar, they're not all like best friends within those 8,000. That's a huge group. So then maybe within the marketing seminar, there's the people who have um, started their own businesses and they're trying to do personal marketing. And within that, there are the people who are really focused on building their social media brand. And within that, there are women in tech who are doing that. And so then you keep going smaller and smaller. And though that's how you find those little subgroups is from people stepping up and saying, I need this community. I need this group. I need to be connected to people like me because of these reasons. How can I help? Or how can I create that? Or can you create that for me? Mm-hmm. And if they ask, can you create that for me? You say, it may be putting up that boundary to say, hey, 
actually, this is something that you can do. And these are the ways how, and make it super simple and easy for them to lead in that way. So that it's not like something that they're taking on as another full-time job or even a part-time job, Mm -hmm. but it's giving them the support in the structure that they can then blossom and, and do their thing and have the people that they need to show up in that space. So that's how I'm thinking about growth right now. And with Groove, it will be creating places for people to start their own communities and lead those. I think I'm blanking on the name right now. Upstream, have you been on Upstream before, the app? Okay, Upstream is a good example of where they have a bunch of different communities and they're all different like leaders that are leading them. People Mm -hmm. who don't work at Upstream, people who have volunteered and raised their hand and say, hey, I'm leading over here, who wants to come? Mm -hmm. And then people come because they say, oh, those are people like me. I want to be over there. Mm -hmm. And so it's creating the space for people to have those types of interactions and opportunities to to step up and lead and also find the others. (laughs) So I guess, Taylor, with all of your experience within it now, if you were going to give someone from the start where they didn't have, say, any community and they were like trying to rise up and build community from that, and maybe they weren't quite as extroverted or social and by nature they didn't feel like Mm -hmm. they put themselves out there what sort of advice or opinions or like rituals or habits would you potentially give them definitely I think this is such a good question and David talks a lot about this in his book too I think he says like I'm an introvert and I'm very very much an introvert and talks about like how he has struggled in a world where so many people are looking for the folks who are extroverted, want to talk, that type of thing. I think that one of the biggest things I would say is find 10 people to be a part of your community and start there. Mm -hmm. And so you may have 10, likely you have 10 cheerleaders in your life. It could be someone who was a past mentor of yours, a current mentor of yours, a teacher. It might be a best friend from childhood. It might be a new friend that you met. It might be the person that works at the front desk of the office that you, the co-working space that you go to, whoever those cheerleaders are that you feel like I could share something with them and they would give me honest feedback. Mm. Start with those people. Even if they're not the people that you want to be a part of your community, share with them in very clear, a very clear way. These are the types of people I'm looking for. Do you know any of them? Mm. And the more specific that you can be about that, the more generous the ask is because For example, like for you to say, Hey, I'm interested in meditation. Great. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. But Hey, I'm interested in going on a silent retreat and I'm scared about that because of these reasons Mm -hmm. that gives me so much more of a focused idea of who I would want to connect you with. Or even if you said, I also want to do it in a place that's like really far away from home. And I have absolutely no technology for the entire month and these different things. And I'd be like, Oh, actually I know the exact one person you should talk to. And so the more specific that you can get with those 10 people, I have a good feeling that you'll start finding some of those folks from there. And then same thing, let's say you got four people out of that group. So after you've talked to 10, they were able to say either I'm a person that should be a part of this, or I know someone who should. And let's say you ended up with four people now in your community, still a tiny community, but those four people know even more people. And so the more that you can do that, I think, especially if you're an introvert and you're not looking for the like loud hi, let me put myself on LinkedIn and share a video of what I'm up to. This is maybe a more um, comfortable way to go ahead and say, hey, I know these people and they know people and let me go ahead and do this thing because I'm a good listener and I'm a good relationship builder. It's just, I don't really want to do it in front of a camera or in front of a microphone. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, a a great way to get started. So 
that would be my tip for those folks who are like, Hey, I want to start this thing, but I'm not really sure I would get your test community going that way. Mm. I like that with the 10 and then the specific, the specificity around the ask. And I just hadn't, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. The more specific you get around it and the, the more that person's brain is primed to find what you're looking for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's super useful. I'd even add to that, that like for in a broader sense, anyone who's looking for that next role, that's exactly how I approached my search is I realized like part of the way through the searching I needed to get as specific as possible because people didn't know who to connect me with and they didn't know what to look for. Mm. And I had a moment where I was frustrated that someone had sent me who I thought really understood what I was looking for. They Mm. sent me a job listing that they had seen someone post and they were like, Hey, like, I thought this might be up your alley. Like I know someone I'd be happy to connect you. And Mm. I read it and I just thought this so isn't me. Mm. And I was upset at that person because I thought, God, how did how did they think that this was right? And then I thought, wait a second, why would I be upset at that person? I did something wrong in my communication to them that made them think that was a great fit. And what was it about the way that I explained it to them? And so I went back and looked at what I had written to them and realized it was not specific enough. And so then went back and said, this is the type of community that I really want to work with. These are the type of people I really want to work with. And this is what I really want to accomplish. And then fast forward, that person ended up sharing a couple more listings that made more sense for me or connecting with people that made more sense. So I think it's more of just like a life skill too, Mm -hmm. of just the more specific you can get, or just saying, even saying, hi, I moved to New York city and I want an awesome bookstore to go to. Mm -hmm. Well, what does awesome look like for you? I want a bookstore that's going to share really great recommendations for new fiction reads. Okay. What else? It'd be really cool if I could go to like events there sometimes. And if I could order coffee there and and then you start to hear more and more and then it's, Oh, I know exactly which one you should go to. Oh, does it need to be near you? Okay. Just kidding. Let me tell you about this one. Mm -hmm. And the more specific that you can get in your ass, just in general in life, the more likely you're going to be able to get what you are looking for and Mm -hmm. hear about what you're looking for and get connected to the right people and that type of thing. So I think it's a more general thing. And I think part of The hard part about that is sometimes you don't know. And so it's testing out, okay, what are the three different hats I want to put on of what I'm looking for? Test it out and see which ones come back with the best results. And you can always change what you say. Like with that one woman, for example, I said one thing. And then I said, actually, about a month ago, I shared this with you and I'd like a chance to reshare what I would say now. And this is that. And so again, I would say as much as you can refine that, go for it and just embrace the fact that like, it's not permanent, whatever you share. Yeah. It's like iterating on those labels. It's mm-hmm. having the, spe- the like specificity to name the label, but then having the flexibility to, to evolve the label as it goes out. Evolve. 100%. Yeah. So I think that's really useful because I guess one of the things that we've been trying to do is build in like a writing community within constant student. Cause we, f- we yeah. found a lot of people really loved writing. So then that, that specificity really helps bring people in compared to before when it was like, when, I don't know, I think David also spoke about it as like, when you sell people like unity, when you sell people utility, then they stay mm. for the unity. But if you sell people unity at the start, this, this is really unclear. I'm not really sure what's yes. actually, yeah. So I guess when bring, bringing someone into Groove, like how do you explain it to them? Say if you're talking to someone on the street or you're meeting someone new that you think will like it. 
like how do you make them feel welcome within that first interaction without sounding like sort of a sales pitch like I want something it's like that mm-hmm. giving that giving sort of vibe I think you'll I think you'll like this place yeah yeah I think it's interesting because you go back to what is that feeling like for someone mm-hmm. and I think a lot of the people who have showed up in Groove I've found know what that feeling is like and, mm-hmm. and let me back up because I'm not being specific at all right now I had a conversation with Josh, our co-founder around, we were just jamming. Like I said, we like to do these like audio notes. And we were talking about if we were to write a manifesto for Groove, what would that include? And in doing so, I tried to figure out, okay, it's almost as if we're interviewing each other just to get ideas out. And let's figure out at the root why Groove is important to us. And if this feeling we feel here is new to us or old. And in having this conversation, we realized that we both as young kids really wanted to do our homework with someone else in the room. Mm -hmm. And so it was really interesting because both of us had a stay-at-home parent. For Josh, it was his dad. And for me, it was my mom. And so we were very lucky to have the opportunity and the ability to always have someone in the room with us as we did that homework and accomplish those little things uh, if we wanted to. And when you get to the root of what it is, like that feeling of having someone else there while you want to get your work done It wasn't like you came there for the person. Like I didn't come into the kitchen necessarily like to hang out with my mom. My mom was doing her own thing, maybe cooking dinner, but I came because I needed to get homework done. And I knew if I was around my mom, I could get it done. And so when I talk with someone, talk to someone about groove, it's how do I explain that feeling? Because they probably felt it before if they're the right kind of person for this. So whether it's someone who used to go to the library in college or in high school or whatever alternative learning method they went through. Let's say they gathered at the university library with three friends who also loved working late and just wanted to get shit done, but they had totally different majors and projects they were working on. But the act of packing your bag and going to the library meant work was getting done and sitting in your room may not have meant that work was getting done. So mm. I think about that and how I can bring that into a conversation of, Hey, have you ever felt that before? Or have you ever done that sort of thing? But I also think about a lot of these folks for them at later stages in their life, it might look like going to a coffee shop. And so sometimes we talk about groove as going to this virtual coffee shop where you're going to get stuff done next to other people. You're not working on the same things, but there's a lot of magic of that energy of being in a coffee shop where people are all doing their own thing Mm -hmm. and you're all walking out with having done something that you came there to do. You went to the coffee shop with your laptop and you wrote a chapter of your book while the person next to you went to the coffee shop and they read a chapter of a book or whatever it was that they came to do. And so I think that the more you can tie it to experiences and feelings that people know, the easier it is for them to grasp onto that. So that's knowing if I knew that person well and was like, hey, remember when we used to do that back in college or I, did you ever do that back in college where you would go to the library or someplace and then someone, yeah, like we used to do that all the time, especially Thursday nights, we would go and get pizza and we would all do the X, Y, and Z together. Then that's the end. They know the feeling and you say, that's what Groove is like, except it's online. You can do it from anywhere and wherever, whenever you'd like, whenever you want to get something done, it can be a hard project that you've been putting off. It could be your regular day job. It could be a passion project or maybe just cleaning your apartment. But the fact is you got to get something done and that it helps when other people around you. So come try it. (laughs) So that's, that's how I I would position it. So I think that feeling of how I described that can be really applied to a lot of different communities. Like 
writing, for example, mm-hmm. when you look at the con- constant student, the people that are coming there to write, there are uh, many examples of so many great writing groups that come together and say, we're going to accomplish X, Y, and Z by the end of six months or a year, mm-hmm. or every week we're going to show up. And maybe it's not having a certain amount of words or a certain amount of chapters or blog posts done, mm-hmm. but it's the act of showing up every week. That's really important. Whatever that is, figure out what's important to those people and then help them bond about other times where they've came, they've come together with people in the past mm-hmm. in order to make progress and then find that common ground as you explain it. That's yeah. That's an amazing way of explaining it because <laughs> I've seen like within the entrepreneurship world, it can often be like, problem solution ask it can be very methodical i found it in in some that's and i think that can be useful for some aspect but bringing them what's familiar in that person's world or what's familiar and then tying it to the unfamiliar path that they're going down because like essentially you're bringing a change into their life but you're doing it through a familiar like sort of path or feeling yeah i'm really going to keep that in mind next like conversations i have and talking to people so thank you so much taylor I'm sure. wary of the time. I think we did book in for 45 minutes and I'm sure you got lots of important things to do in your day. So yeah, thank you so much. And I'm curious if you want to, we can keep talking or if you want to jump off. Let's do one more question. Okay. One final question. So I guess within this, how would you, this is my final question. Cause I'm, I'm also, I'm really curious around what sort of defines community and how someone defines a community. Because I feel like I've asked so many different people now and it's always been like a different answer. How do you define community in your life? It's mm. a good question. And I'm, he- I'm sure you've heard me like riff on this a little bit before, but, and I think I mentioned the phrase earlier in this, at the very beginning of this episode, But this opposite of loneliness, I think, is really what community feels like to me. I think community is a feeling. It's not a thing. Mm -hmm. And when I say the opposite of loneliness, there's a really incredible um, book called The Opposite of Loneliness written by a woman named Marina Keegan. And Marina was an author and writer at Yale University. And she um, was the commencement speaker at her graduation in 2012 which seems so long ago. And so she gave this commencement speech and it was called The Opposite of Loneliness. It was focused on that. And then it's a true story. A few weeks later, she was driving home from college and ended up getting in a car accident and passing away. And so her mom and one of her professors knew that her dream was to write a book. So they took her commencement speech and made it the first chapter of the book and called the book The Opposite of Loneliness. And the remainder of the book is all of her different short stories that she had written at school um, while being the editor for the Yale Daily News. And on top of all of her other activities, she found time to make this writing a priority. And she was going to be a writer at the New Yorker after graduation. So anyways, I read this book in maybe 2013, maybe a year after 2013 or 2014, soon after the book had come out. Mm. And this commencement speech really stuck with me because I felt very heard by it. She talked about, I think the opening line is something along the lines of, um, why don't we have a word for the opposite of loneliness? Because that's what I feel at Yale and that's what I'm afraid of losing here. Mm. And I think that describes community really well of being not only feeling it, but being afraid that it's going to be taken away because it's so special. 
And so being worried, how am I going to find this special feeling again? Because it's that great. I think that also is a part of it. Anyways, the commencement speech, you can read it online, but she talks all about the different circles of people in her life that helped her feel that way and how sometimes community is felt even when you're just, like she says, I think she talks about the late nights in the library of not even talking to another soul, but knowing that they're there, just this abundance of people. And yeah, it's a really special commencement speech that I've been, you know, kept really close to my heart. And so now describing my work as creating the opposite of loneliness at Groove is really a hat tip to um, Marina because her words really made an impact on me and helped me find what it was that I wanted to do in this world was help create that opposite of loneliness for many more people. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing, Taylor. Um, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love that. And I'm definitely going to check out the commencement speech after this. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. And I guess where people can find you at Groove at, mm-hmm. yeah, do you want to say where people can find yeah, you? Yeah, for sure. For sure. First, I also just want to say this was so much fun. So thank you for including me and also asking so many great questions. Like, I feel like I need to reflect on the conversation and be like, what the heck did I just even say? Because you had me sharing ahas that I didn't even know that I had in me. So that was <laughs> cool. But uh, yeah, like even just like the way you were talking about familiarity, like now I need to go back and re-listen to this one day and be like, aha, that's a blog post right there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my, my stuff, taylor-harrington.com is where you can find my 360 view that Liam mentioned. And also just like my past work, my blog, that different stuff. I love LinkedIn, connecting on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to find me. And like I said, I like to share my writing on there as well. So you can find me under Taylor Harrington on LinkedIn. Liam and I connect, are connected. So if you follow Liam, you can find me. And um, in terms of Groove, it's grooveapp.io is our website right now. And you can join the waitlist. It's a beta test community. Just share that you listen to this episode and we'll get you in there so that you can come and test it out. It's totally free. And I would love to have some new coworkers to hang out with. Epic. Thanks so much, Taylor. Thank you everyone for watching. It's been a pleasure and until next time.